When you love farming, you want to talk about it all the time. Real people, real farms, grassroots. This is the Ontario AgCast. Welcome to the Ontario AgCast. The Ontario AgCast is proud to be part of the Farm and Rural Ag Network. For all the best agricultural podcasts and agriculture video blogs, be sure to check out farmrealag.com. I'm your host, Wendell Shum, and my guest today is Sally Smith Pellebor. Sally, along with her husband Garrett, operate a dairy and beef farm near Springford, Ontario. Sally, welcome to the show. Hi, Wendell. It is a beautiful, sunny afternoon, and I have Oliver that I'm looking after, who's my dog, if anybody doesn't know that, and you have three three kids that might bust in? Yeah, we have three children. Mm-hmm. And um, I should probably just mention that it's good that you have Oliver because I have those three children here. And I have tried to prep them. I, you know, I said all the things, did all the things I could do. But, you know, kids, it seems like every time you pick up the phone, it is, you know, the time when they're going to interrupt you. So (laughs) we'll see. Right. And to be fair, I tried to prep Oliver too, but he doesn't always take directions so well. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. But... (laughs) Okay, tell us where Springford, Ontario is. Okay, so Springford is in between Tilsonburg and Norwich, kind of. You could say we're about and seven minutes northeast of Tilsonburg. Right, and even if people aren't from the area, they may have heard of Tilsonburg because it was memorialized in a Stomp and Tom Connors song. Right, which I'm pretty <laughs> sure everybody in Ontario knows, right? <laughs> Right. Maybe not some of our American listeners, but if they don't, they should. That would be a, a new cultural experience for yeah, them. Yeah, they should look it up. It's a good one. <laughs> and if people don't know where Tilsonburg is, Tilsonburg is kind of between London and Woodstock, but maybe south. Yeah, definitely further south. That's a good way to describe it, I guess. Right. And 30 years ago, Tilsonburg would have been known as sort of the tobacco capital of Ontario, maybe Canada. If we went that I, far. I think Canada. So I have only been here 14 years. So I still <laughs> only. Yeah. Well, I still don't consider myself local, and I, you know what I mean, right? right. So mm-hmm. people, you know, I, like talking to farmers and whatnot. I always have to say I didn't grow up here, but I have learned a lot. And we actually farm a bit of that tobacco sand. And yeah, tobacco sand. Yeah, exactly. So that was a, a pretty big learning curve for me coming to this area. Yeah, and Oxford County which is the dairy capital of Canada, but lots of dairy, lots of pigs, lots of chickens, lots of cash crop, and even a few beef cattle. Yeah, a few, very few. (laughs) (laughs) Not as many as there used to be. Every single one of us beef producers in Oxford is, I think that's what makes the board up for the Oxford County cattlemen. Right. If you're a beef farmer in Oxford County, you're probably on the the board of the county. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) But safe to say that there's probably still more beef cattle in Oxford County than there is now in the county where you grew up. I would agree with that. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Because you grew up in Lambton County. Yes, that's right. I grew up in Lambton County. Yeah. So um, I grew up five miles east of a little town called Wyoming. Wyoming. So we're getting pretty close to the Windsor-Detroit border? Um, Sarnia. Sarnia border. Sarnia. Okay. Yeah. So a little farther sort of north Correct. still. Okay. Yes, that's right. So about 20 minutes, 30 minutes from that border, you know, we would go over, over the border for gas on the weekends, right? Like it was, a, it was just <laughs> normal, like go to Port Huron and fill up the vehicles and come back because it was uh, so close. So 
No, definitely no, not. No. Okay, I just want to make sure everybody understands. <laughs> Because you are, you guys are dairy farmers, but you didn't grow up on a dairy farm. No. So I grew up on a beef farm and a sow's, fair to finish, uh, 120 sows. So it wasn't a huge hog operation, but it was definitely a big part of it for me growing up. And cash crop farm. Cash crop, notably sugar beets. Well, actually, yes. The sugar beet production started in 1997. So I would have been, well, I don't want to say, because then, then everyone's going to know how old I am, but... <laughs> Christine said you grew up on a sugar beet farm. I, would have been, I was so looking forward to talking well, about sugar beets. Well, I would beets. have been 17 when that um, when uh, we started, when Dad started growing sugar beets. So, I mean, I kind of okay. did, but but All also right. kind of didn't. But that is All actually... Right, so we won't talk about sugar We won't talk about sugar beets. Sugar beets, even though no, we, sugar beets are very interesting, I've never had a sugar beet farm. We can definitely talk about sugar beets. Sugar beets are... <laughs> <laughs> very interesting, and they're they're definitely a part of my life. So yeah, we can talk about sugar beets. Okay. Well, you don't grow sugar beets now, do you? No, no, because it's a it's a no. quota system, and we can't grow them here without shares. Whoa. Sugar beets is quota. Well, it's a it's a co-op. Sort of. So you have like goat like like goats almost. Then yeah, it's a it's, you have to be part of a cooperative, and you have to buy shares yep. to grow them. And there's only certain locations that they're even going to allow the shares to be grown in. So. Obviously, closer, right. and, logistically, it has to be closer to the border than we are here. Right, because the sugar beets aren't processed here in Ontario, are No, they? that's right. They're processed in Michigan. Yeah, yeah, and, and there's lots of, lots of sugar beet farmers in Michigan. If you go at the right time of year, they're trucking sugar beets and making a big pile, and then they let them sit in a pile, and then they, they process them, and eventually, voila, sugar. Yes, and I, like, I toured the, the plant years ago when I was when I was, you know, a lot younger, and, and the process is really neat how they extract the sugar, but I can't go into that, I can't really go through it detailed with you, but it is pretty cool. That's okay, <laughs> we just really wanted to give Wendell the chance to say, voila! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You are now a dairy and beef farmer, or, depending on who I'm talking to, a beef and dairy farmer. Yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head. Depends who you're talking to. <laughs> no, I shouldn't say that. I like to make it pretty clear, pretty quick to everybody that the dairy is our main business here. It's our, our family-run main business here that my husband and I took over from his family. So my husband's family immigrated from Holland in 1995. Right. Pellebor is a Dutch name. Yes. Right. If there was any question. But what's kind of interesting is there actually is another Pellebor family near where I grew up, and everybody thinks and still I get this today, that I'm a Pelibor from Wyoming. Yeah, they're the goat farmers. Yes, yes. Right, yeah, well, they're, yeah, they're customers of ours. So, <laughs> so it was kind yeah. of... See, I, I try not to be presumptuous and just assume because you have the same last Dutch name as somebody. It's like it's like assuming that just because your name is Smith that you're related to all the Smiths around London, I know. which you're probably not. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, and I, I went from a Smith to a Pelibor, so I went from the most common last name you could possibly <laughs> have. So my name was Sally Smith. <laughs> Yeah, Which right. is pretty, uh, pretty simple to spell, and nobody needed to ask me to Pellebor, where everyone has to ask me how to spell that. So, And for the record, when you type in Sally Smith to come up with interesting facts on the internet, you do not get to you at all. Oh, no. that's good, but scary. I try not to do that. Because <laughs> <laughs> the internet, that scares me, Girl. right? <laughs> right, right. Okay, and Pellebor, so you grew up on a beef farm and pig farm, and then... Married a Dutchman and became a dairy farmer. Yeah, so I met Garrett at Ridgetown College. 
Okay. So that's how it... Where you also went with Christine's funeral. Yes, that's right. <laughs> I know Christine through Ridgetown <laughs> and many... So we are now doing a series of podcasts called Ladies Named Sally Who Went to college with Christine Schooner because <laughs> you're the second one. To, this, well, that's yeah. great. I mean, let me think. So they start with some stories? Probably not. <laughs> no, we'll save them to then. Save them to then when I ask for <laughs> embarrassing stories about Christine. I actually, yes, I did meet Christine there and have some fond memories of her there. And I, yeah, I, I, I love her. And as well as so many... But maybe more significantly, you also met your, your, your husband, Gary. <laughs> yeah, that's the most significant thing. So, I guess. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I met him there, and that's how I ended up in Oxford County, clearly. So, were you... Had any exposure to dairy before you decided to make that your, your life? I actually <laughs> did go work for a dairy farm before I married Garrett, because I wanted to see what I was kind of getting into. Right. And I, yeah, good yeah, choice. And I had, yeah. after college... I came home to farm with dad, so I have two sisters, no boys in our family. I don't necessarily like the term, I was a boy my dad never had, because I don't know if things would have looked, things likely would have looked different if we had a brother or boys in our family, but we didn't, so we didn't know any different, and we all worked on the farm, and we all worked together. So you went home to farm with your dad, and then oh, yes. has somebody taken over that farm? Yeah, so, no, um, so that was... Basically, after school, I got my diploma in agriculture, but I just I went home to farm with Dad because that's what I was doing prior to going to school, and I loved to do that with Dad. We had the best working relationship that you could ask for, and I learned so much and worked so well with Dad, and so we just it just felt natural to just go right on and just work alongside him. So I did that for a few years, and I dated Garrett for four years before we married, and within that four years... <laughs> Really, really tested it out, right? Yeah, and you know, we were an hour and a half away, so we made that drive like every weekend yeah. for four years. Well, then you know you're committed. Yeah, you know you're yeah, committed to that relationship. true, yeah. Yeah, good for stuff. <laughs> yeah, but it, it was worth it. But um, so in the meantime, I had worked with Dad, and then I thought I, you know, I realized things were getting serious, more serious with Garrett every day, so I thought I better, I knew the type of farm he was from and the environment, and the. so I thought I better go check this out. So I went and I, um, I worked for a... a farm in this area as well very large dairy farm dutch family um a lot of the same principles and values and mm-hmm. work ethic and just you know work style so i, I went and did yeah, that yeah. it was a great experience um and i will say i realized very quickly i don't like milking cows <laughs> oh <laughs> not my true thing confessions. i will do a good job of whatever i do and i will make sure i do it right but no, when I, I would watch the tractors go by the parlor, and I like we, I think we milked 450 cows at the time when I worked there, mm. and mm-hmm. it would take you like six hours to milk from start to finish with cleanup and everything, and I would watch yep. the tractors go by, and I would much rather be feeding the cows, doctoring the cows, doing the field work, being, you know, doing the other work than actually milking. When you and Garrett got married, he had dairy, but no beef at that time. No beef. No, not at all. <laughs> Right. Yeah. So it would be fair to say that the beef herd, you have a 40 cow beef herd, is your thing. It's, it's yes, it's my thing for sure. I, when we got married, I brought like 45 cows with me at the time and. Oh, brought them from your home farm? Well, so I had started my cow herd in 2003. We got married in 2005. So okay. I started in 03 with 10 heifers that I picked out of dad's feedlot. So. 
this was black Angus. They were just commercial cows. They were all crossbred. There was blacks okay. and reds. Okay. There was a there was even yep. a couple whites. It was just I just went in there and you know you grow up doing 4-H and judging confirmation and you think well I'll just pick out ones I like. I mean they're feedlot animals so they they clearly were not even meant to be um, cows. But <laughs> I I thought well this is a good place to start because mm-hmm. Dad had a feedlot. Sure. So that's how I started and it kind of grew from there. And right before I married Garrett, I actually purchased, I think I purchased 25 bred heifers from Mac Parker, who is from Kerwood area. I know the name. Yep. Yep. And uh, anyway, long story short, I ended up taking 45 females with me when we got married. (laughs) Very cool. Yeah, it was cool. It was a bit of a an adjustment for Garrett, for sure, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I bet, I bet. He ne- you never put any in the dairy barn to milk them, did he? No, he didn't, but it was more like the heated <laughs> questions of, well, can you show me the revenue? Can you, can, let, how are we going to make money? How are we going to make these, these oh, cows pay? Those were more the issues details, versus details. the actual, because they had a farm. <laughs> they had a farm that had a great facility on it for my beef. It was an old beef barn that held, you could probably run 80 cows there. There was a little bit of pasture, yeah. everything, but they weren't even using it because it was just obviously purchased for the land, and it was just the family wasn't even using it. So it was the perfect spot for my cows to go, and that is where we lived for the first 10 years of our marriage over on okay. that farm too. So, And it isn't as if, when you're in the dairy business, this always surprises me a little bit that more dairy farmers don't dabble in beef because if you're in the dairy business, you know cattle, you know what a, a sick animal looks like, you've got all the equipment, you've got all the feed, typically, yep. Yep. and yet there's this hesitation to cross over from, from dairy into beef. I think it's, you're, yeah, it's a good way to put it, it doesn't have the patience. The dairy is so intensively managed, and it's it's very, there's, a, there's so much going on that really that should be their main focus, but there is a huge opportunity for beef in dairy, and, for sure. and I yeah. think it's overlooked, for sure. But don't commercial feedlot operators in Ontario would be just as happy if the dairy guys stayed out of beef these days. Yeah, so <laughs> to it, be totally it, honest, yeah, so. it depends who you're talking to. But we in our area, so probably you know because Oxford County is so dairy strong that there is actually some large cattle feeders in this county that feed yeah. Holstein crossbred beef. For sure, and, and in Michigan, a huge chunk of the indus- the beef industry is Holstein beef. Yes, I mean it. Yeah. That's the reality that in dairy areas, the males are put into the beef system, right. for sure. I mean, there's so many pros and cons, and there's so many arguments to and for. Like, it is a huge debate, huge topic, depends who you're talking to. But in our area, some of these guys that are very large, feeding a lot of these, these Holstein crossbred cattle, they, they control the calf from the time it's purchased to the time it's slaughtered, harvested. Yeah. There's more room for revenue, right? They have more control. They can... The feed conversion might not be the same. Obviously, there's a lot of disadvantages too, but they make it work. So it comes down to that, right? right? You know, I'll never forget in beef production class with Phil McEwen in Ridgetown, we did a blind <laughs> taste test of beef and the Holstein won. <laughs> I will never... Do you want to know, some, do you want to know an interesting, interesting fact? Yeah. I had Phil McEwen as an instructor at Centralia College. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, I love Phil. And when they closed Centralia College... <laughs> Phil moved down to Richtown College. Okay. Well, I love yeah. Phil. You know, obviously just connected to him because he was the beef production teacher. Right. He was the yeah. beef guy. Yeah. And, I, you know, I did the judging team at Richtown, and it was with Phil. And all everything related to beef was Phil. So I think I just kind of latched onto him because of my passion for beef and growing up on the beef farm. But he, yeah, I, that's neat that we both had him. <laughs> 
and the passion for beef. I can hear it in your voice, and you aren't just sort of doing the beef. It, it's not the main part of your operation, but that's not to say that it's like just a, a fun hobby, fun sideline. You are invested in the beef industry. Yeah, like it, in many ways. I mean, I always do like to, you know, my situation is unique in the fact that it is subsidized by the dairy, and I may, mm-hmm. I'm not afraid to say that, and I'm not going to uh, pretend that that's not the truth. But if you look at a lot of cow-calf producers, they have outside jobs. They have other... Right, exactly. So subsidized from some other source of income. Yours happens to be from another sector of the farming operation. Right, right. Yeah, okay. It is unique that way. But yeah, at the end of the day, it's still my business and it still has to make sense. And it isn't... I do call it my hobby, so to say, but it is still... (laughs) It does still have to make sense for me to have them around. The beef industry is lucky that you have that hobby because you do a lot of good things for the industry. Well, yeah, I don't know. I, <laughs> I try, but when I moved here, I did feel a little bit like a foreigner out in an island because there were not a lot of beef producers around. You know, I moved to a new area, and I was, like most farm kids, super attached to, the, to growing up on the farm that I grew up on, mm-hmm. super attached to the area. Like, as a farm kid, you know, it's so different than just leaving your home because you you have so many connections to the community, right? And the farming community. And mm-hmm. so leaving it was very challenging for me. It wasn't easy because it, it's an hour and a half away, 135 kilometers, and just far enough away that it was, it was a struggle, you know? Not a struggle, but mm-hmm. it, was, it presented a new challenge for me. And I, the first thing I did was I thought I'd better reach out to the local county cattlemen's association. Which is the Oxford County County. Right. So following in my dad's footsteps again, like dad, he was always involved with the Lambton County Cattlemen's. And Mm -hmm. I've been to multiple meetings with him over the years and, you know, the Cattlemen's Barbecue and the different events that they did and meetings, producer meetings, et cetera, and always very involved. So I saw a lot of the value in the county organization there. So I went out to our AGM in Oxford and I got on the board and... I guess got on the board first first year first year so let let me get this right so you're new to the area and not a man yeah. <laughs> sorry I don't mean, mean to point that out but and uh, stepped right up and said I'm gonna be on the board basically yes <laughs> yeah. yeah okay I did that's exactly what I did and they were a <laughs> tremendous group of, of guys and you know since then we have lost some of them and we have you know the board has changed a lot but um, I got right involved and it's been, that was one of the best decisions I ever made because, you know, you start to feel more at home and have those producers that are doing the same thing as you. And is that typical for you, Sally? Would you wade into a, an unknown situation, a new group of people and just do that? I don't think so. I don't necessarily think that's typical of me actually, but when it comes to agriculture, that's it's, it is typical. Right, okay. because it, agriculture is just—it's just my passion, and it's, it's so full that it just—that was—that was just what I wanted to do, and there was there was no stopping me, I guess, you know. No, and I think they're lucky to have you serving on the board, and and again doing some some good things for the beef industry. What are the kind of things that the uh, local cattlemen's association would do? What are some of the programs? So, like the biggest thing is to promote uh, promote Ontario beef. 
okay, because we're a grassroots right. organization of the Ontario, Bee, like Bee Farmers of Ontario, which when I started, it was still OCA, Ontario Cattlemen's Association. They had a name change right. there a few years ago. Mm-hmm. So now it's BFO. So we're just a grassroots organization of BFO. And at the county level, we, we promote Ontario beef. That's the biggest thing. And bring any issues to BFO from uh, a county level, grassroots of the farmers that need to be brought to them. So, uh, you know, going to Toronto every year for the Beef Farmers of Ontario Mm -hmm. AGM, I've done that every year. I think I might have missed one or two years in the last 14 years due to either being pregnant or just having my one son. (laughs) I think it was actually, no, I definitely wouldn't be just because of being pregnant. But I know I had Lane February 5th, and that meeting is the middle of February. So I think I missed that year. Ah, in 2011 but so you know there were a few (laughs) things but going there as a voting delegate to vote on the resolutions so i've I've Mm -hmm. done that every year and well those are that's kind of the the main stuff right we have our barbecue every year in tavistock and that we feed Mm -hmm. about 800 to a thousand people my hometown tavistock oh that's your hometown okay so so you would have been to that barbecue don't hold that against me oh no probably not i was we didn't get off the farm much as kids. and you, you got to be joking right now. Yeah. you definitely have <laughs> been to that barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've definitely been to the park. I, I've been to oh. barbecues there. I don't know if I specifically remember if out. I was you at totally that You totally missed out. It's, it's, it's such a good <laughs> feed. <laughs> oh, oh, for sure. Well, don't get me wrong. I've been to a number of county yep. cattlemen's barbecues in the last 40 years. And, yeah, I know exactly. Yes how good the food is there, so for we sure. sponsor a yeah. lot of local events too like um drumbo fair woodstock fair and tractor pull yep. all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff we like to sponsor yep. be a part of all that and yeah so that's and you have a unique perspective sally you know dairy farming and beef farming and you are sort of actively involved in sort of promoting the good things about agriculture and beef specifically do you think that consumers are sort of more accepting um, or less critical of beef farmers or dairy farmers? Right now, the dairies may be a little more critical. Yeah, yeah right? Yeah, I think so. Which, I mean, I, it just, Which is odd. I, I guess I was surprised at that. I think you're right, exactly right on. I guess I always, in my own mind, thought that consumers, you know, would look at a dairy farmers and go, well, you know, like those cows can be there for years and, and, and that can be, they're sort of part of the family. You know, where, like milking cows does not require that cow to be slaughtered right Um, right but they're not yeah well i think it comes (laughs) down to that you we just are not going to get through to them about removing the calf they they can't get past that like obviously a beef calf will stay on its cow for eight months it's a lot yeah it's less uh domesticated it's more natural seemingly right and and it is in so some some ways but yeah it's and it's the picture that consumers have in their mind of how it's supposed to be right Right. Yeah. You what we would think would make sense to them never does. So that's where the disconnect always happens. Yeah. Right. Yep. For sure. For sure. So then, as part of your volunteering that you do for beef organizations, you do some outreach stuff for the industry on the beef side. You do webinars for the Ontario Beef Breeder oh, Cooperative. Yeah. Well, program. I did one webinar for that. So. I've been on the board for Oxford County Cattlemen for like 14 years since I've been here. So I started out on the board just as a director. I was, I did take my turn as president. And then I actually took over the role of secretary when our secretary passed away, um, which was terrible. So I took that over and mm-hmm. um, so I, I have that too. And then at the same time, I've also been on the board of another 
uh, cooperative, the Southwest Beef Breeder Co-op. So I've been on that board for just as long because that board is actually how I started my cow-calf business in 2003. I was the first loan for the Southwest Beef Breeder Co-op actually ever. Okay, well tell us a little bit about that program. Give us the background. Okay, so that program, and just to say to, to point to what you said before, I did do a webinar for BFO on that, for the Beef Up program for the young, produ- young beef producers. So... Um, that, uh, so I don't really do webinars, plural. I just have done that one. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, but you might do more. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's new career, (laughs) but no, (laughs) just kidding. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a co-op basically. And it's uh, made up of members that are there to apply for financing for their herd, like to, to whatever, either start a beef cow-calf herd or to grow or to, you know, expand, improve whatever they may need financing for. Right. And then that allows them to go to the bank and say, I've you know got this amount of financing and maybe helps them get sort of a more commercial loan. Right. So the CIBC is the lender for the Southwest mm-hmm. Beef Co-op. There's eight co-ops in the province of Ontario, and that's just the one that was started in Lambton. And um, so you have to put down 15% for the amount of principal you're applying for. But the big advantage of these co-ops is the cows are the collateral. So you don't mm-hmm. need any equity or, um, you know, co-signer or any, any um, if you're especially a young producer, if you're starting and you don't have any of that, which was me in 2003, it was really, it's really easy and simple to get, to get access to some funds. And then is that loan guaranteed in some way? I mean, you've got collateral on that, the it's, cattle, but... Unfortunately, um, it's not guaranteed. Like the Lambton Feeder, or the Feeder Finance Program, which you would have heard of lots about, yep. mm-hmm. it is mm-hmm. guaranteed by the government. So they have a 5% down payment required. Right. So we're up at 15 okay. because it's not guaranteed. Yep. So that goes into an assurance okay. fund account. And basically that is put in place there that if there is a mess, if somebody has a, you know can't a default on their loan then they have to go into the assurance funds okay right. okay so there, there is a little more yeah assurance for the bank that they're going to get their money back in the event that somebody right you know like right has really bad luck and the cattle all die and yeah okay you're an example of someone who who got started in that program have you seen other people use that to get a yeah, start Yeah, like well so i'm on the board so what you do as being on the board is you approve or not membership applications and loan applications. So obviously over the years of Southwest Brief Reader, I've seen all those, uh, being on the board, you see all those loans coming in and you either approve them or you don't. And that's kind of one of the most unique things about the co-ops too, is they're made up of fellow beef producers. So um, it's a different perspective, right? Like as a, yeah, yeah, it's not just a a bunch of paperwork that the bank sends up the chain and uh, you get either approved or not on. You actually have beef producers that, know you or you know look at your integrity look at the support around you they might know some of your family members or not and yeah yeah, so it's it's really it's really a good tool for people to to be aware of and to to sometimes use now there are disadvantages too like for example that 15 percent down and the assurance funds you're in a co-op right so Mm -hmm. you do take Mm -hmm. some risk there if you're another member has a problem like it does fall back on the entire co-op right so Right, you still have a responsibility to make sure that you're you're making good recommendations and you're not yeah. you know, you're, you're not setting the whole group up to take a right. loss. Right, so that's where it comes down to having good board members, people that can yep. can make the decision to approve or not approve a loan. A lot of times it's re-borrowing members. So, you know, it's the same people that you've worked with for years that are just applying for another loan. 
So those yep. ones are easy. It's the new ones that nobody knows anything about that are a little bit, you have to do a little more research, right? So and make sure, yeah. make the right decision. But yeah, I have, of, I guess personally, I don't know a ton of people that have used it. I've actually often thought that these co-ops are underrated and they need more promoting because they're such a good tool. There is an administrative fee that they, like each co-op has to put on each on the right. head, the number sure. of heads. So like that's, mm-hmm. and you could maybe get access to cheaper money somewhere else. Like there are some disadvantages, but when you need, you know, there are some really clear advantages too. So it's, um, yeah. Okay. So dairy farming, you said beef farming is your hobby, but then you also have an off-farm job. Well, yeah. So, I mean, that's funny you call it off-farm job. I hardly even see it like that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Right. You're you're a pioneer. Rep. Well, so let me tell you a little bit of background about that. In 2007, I got offered an agency. The local okay. pioneer rep at the time was retiring, and um, Don Weaver was my account manager, and he was at my door, <laughs> and someone had given him my name, and he, yeah, they approached me about it, and I, I submitted my resume and had a quick interview, and it was basically done. So... <laughs> I. Now, okay, and so I don't know what kind of, like, what Pioneer allows you to, to say about being a sales agent f- for them. You buy the seed corn from Pioneer, turn around and resell it, or does the sale happen between the parent company and the customer, and then you get paid? So we as sales reps do not own the inventory. So Got it. Okay. we're, like, we're self-employed, but we're not. It's kind of a hard one to actually describe nope, it. I totally I, I totally got it you're not and you're not actually taking delivery of the the inventory some of that would get shipped direct to farm but would some of it actually come into your yeah you know your drive shed M- warehouse most of it would come into the drive shed when I like when I took over from Jake it wasn't a huge agency but it was probably around 30 35 farms and yeah I would have a, an entire drive shed full of seed every spring and to right. service those guys and so you are responsible for the inventory as far as, as keeping it protected from, you know, rodents, et cetera. But we don't own it. We're still accountable. We still have to right. reconcile yep. back to, to Pioneer. So, so so what's your favorite part about, because that's a little different than anything else that, that you do day to day on the farm. What do you like about that? So for me, I got married in 2005, got this in 2007. This was another huge part of me fitting in in this area because... Right. It was, again, meeting, it was like when I went out to the cattleman's stuff to meet those producers. It was getting involved with the local farming community, learning about the growers in our area and the farmers and just getting to know people, right? And that was huge for me. And I loved it. So over the years, I just want to say before we go into more details about that. So over the years of having yeah. three children, and I didn't want to put them in daycare, I wanted to have them with me on the farm at home every day as much as possible so and taking over the farm and my beef and everything that we you know had going on I did find it challenging to maintain my business at the level I wanted it to be and I kind of was like whittling it down over the years as far as my customers and it was just too many irons in the fire so in 2013 when I had my last daughter Romy we looked at making a change and I became a sales associate for Till Valley Farms. So I essentially gave okay. up my agency and but still 
staying involved with Pioneer um, at a much lower capacity, much more manageable, but really great because now I, I kind of not do my own thing, but kind of like I have. Yeah, no, I totally yeah. get it. There, there's some of the logistical stuff and some of the infrastructure kind of things that they provide, and you still get to talk to the customers and do the relationship part. Yeah, and I and I can do it at a much more manageable spot with less customers. Mm-hmm. I have half a dozen people now, and our account being obviously my big my biggest one, our own account, and everybody <laughs> right. and everybody well. I have is all neighbors, friends. They're all dairy guys. Interesting enough, because I did mm-hmm. find that. I definitely gravitate toward the livestock producers, even though I enjoyed working with large cash croppers and learning so much. Like that was, that was one of the biggest, most amazing parts of becoming a pioneer sales rep was the learning yeah. was incredible. And those experiences are just, I hold them dear to this day. And, you know, working with the agronomists and, mm-hmm. you know, when a farmer has a problem, you go work it through, and that's such an learning experience, right, agronomy-wise. And you must be very good at it and very organized because somehow on the 17th of May, you have time to join me and record a podcast, so good for you. <laughs> well, yeah, as I'm looking out the window, and I need to say that it's an amazing day because my I'm watching my husband planting our new seeding right now. That's great. And we have 135 acres of corn in as of last night, which... You'll be the first ones in that area. Yes, which is huge. On that tobacco sand, because <laughs> yeah, because that's the only thing that's ready. And yeah, so that is one good thing about the sand, yeah. but there's a lot of, you know, there's other limiting factors for sure. But that is one nice thing about the sand is we're able to get some manure out and get on there early. But this is, this is quite late for, uh, for, for normal around here, for sure. Well, Sally, it sounds like you have a whole bunch of cool stuff on the go and juggle lots of things, not the least of which is keeping track of those three kids and making sure that <laughs> they've got everything in order. Yes. The one burning question that I have been waiting to ask, so when it comes time for your kids to get involved in farming, will they choose dairy or will they choose beef? <laughs> oh my goodness. You know what, Wendell? I've never <laughs> thought about that yet. <laughs> oh, well, that's going to have to come. Okay, I'm going to yeah. have to start strategizing now. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I suggest you do. Because you know what? And I, I will not force my children to farm or do anything they don't want to do, but there are some things I can put in place now to potentially steer them yeah. in the, which direction. <laughs> I should likely try to steer them in my direction and say both. <laughs> <laughs> right. As you've proven, that's a totally feasible option. It is a pretty amazing situation to be in. To be in a situation of, of supply managed business and then also to have the non-supply managed and to see both and to be involved in both sectors and see the pros and cons, it's pretty, it's pretty neat. Very cool. Sally, this has been a lot of fun. I've enjoyed chatting and finding out a little bit what you're up to. Well, thank you for uh, having me on. I appreciate it. And, and I don't know if I've actually officially ever met you in life, so hopefully we do have that opportunity because i've listened to a lot of these podcasts and i really enjoy them so that is very nice of you to say uh and i i too i hope that we have the chance to meet and chat again great thanks wendell this has been the ontario Agcast. the ontario Agcast is produced by christine schoonerwood and is proud to be part of the farm and rural egg network for all the best agricultural podcasts and agriculture video blogs be sure to check out farmrollegg.com if this is the last podcast we ever do it's been fun If not, we'll see you next time.